Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. If you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to continue in this wonderful passage here of the Lord's advice to us on what we should be doing in our lives. Matthew 6, verse 19. And first, let's pray. Father, we do come to you this morning as your little flock. Lord, your little flock. And we pray that as a shepherd, you would teach your flock this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew 6, 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? So now our section, the section here in chapter 6, it really opened up with a warning. And the warning is contained in these words in verse 1 where he says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. And it's true that in this passage here, the immediate reference was about doing good deeds, but what he's really, the words that he used here in this beginning is setting the tone for the whole chapter, which has to do with before men to be seen of them. And so that's the, in a sense, it's wanting approval of men. And this brings us back to Abraham, where Abraham was first called of God, and what God told Abraham when he first called him was that, Abraham, I want you to live a life of, in a certain way. And the way that he called Abraham to live his life was in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. In Genesis 17, 1, what the Lord did for Abraham set him out on a course of life when he was 99 years old. So, you know, that for most of us, we have a ways to go. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, he's 99 years old, and the Lord appears to him the Lord appears to him, and he identifies himself, and he says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, and then this course of life that he gives to Abraham, he wants him to live this way. He says, I am the Almighty God, walk before me, and be thou perfect. This is like a new life for Abraham. Abraham was no longer to live his life concerned about other people, whatever people thought of him, but now he's going to live a life where he's going to walk before God, which means he's going to view himself as in front of God, always in the eyes of God, and he's going to want the approval of God more than he wants the approval of men. When you think about Abraham, then God went on with Abraham. He says, now, 
Abraham, you're going to walk before me. You're only going to care about what I think of you, not what others think of you. Because then, in that same chapter, comes this astounding commandment in verse 11, Genesis 17, 11, Genesis 17, 11, where he says, you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token to you of the covenant betwixt me and you. So in order for Abraham to walk before God, in order for Abraham to view his life as walking before God, not walking before men, he had to see himself as only caring about what God thought of him because immediately after this command, in verse 22, in Genesis 17, 22, what we read is, is as soon as God stopped talking with him, he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham, Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all that were born of his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day as God had said unto him. And Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And in the selfsame day, Abraham circumcised, was Abraham circumcised in Ishmael's son, and all the men of his house, born in the house, and bought with money of the stranger, were circumcised with him. Did you get that repetition that happened over and over again? God called Abraham to circumcision, and immediately after God stopped talking with him, Abraham was circumcised, all of his, his son was circumcised, all of his house, his males in his house, everybody was circumcised, and it said it over and over and over again, because it's so surprising what happened. Can you imagine the reaction of the people when word got around of Abraham was circumcised and his son was circumcised and all the people in his house were, were circumcised? Can you imagine the people when they heard that, they were like the double take of Abraham did what? That's <laughs> you know. And the only way that Abraham could immediately obey God in this call to circumcision was Abraham, I know what you're gonna face in this, so Abraham, you have to be in a life that you don't care what other people think about you. You walk before me. You walk before me. And so it's really a separation from what others think to only what does God think. And when you think about it, all of this emphasis in this chapter six of, you know, for to be seen of God and, I mean, seen of men and before men and so forth, it all really comes down to one of the sins in the Ten Commandments, which is very dangerous for us, which is the sin that's addressed in Exodus 20, verse 17. Exodus 20, verse 17 says, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. And then it goes into a list. For example, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So pretty broad. So this is the commandment that really the Lord is addressing in chapter 6 here. He first begins with coveting the praise of men. I wish I was respected by other men. I wish that people looked up to me. I wish I was admired by people. This is all the sins of coveting the praise of men. It's all, he starts off this whole theme here in verse 1 when he says, Take heed, you do not your alms before men to be seen of him. Then he goes on in verse 2 of chapter 6, that they may have glory of them. In verse 5, that they may be seen of men. In verse 16, that they may appear unto men. See, it's this bold-faced sin of covetousness that's really on the table here in this first part 
of chapter 6 here. It's coveting the praise of men. And then what the Lord does is he pivots, and he's still on the subject of this general subject of coveting, but he's now moving from the coveting the praise of men to coveting gain on earth, gain on earth. And this is what he's now addressing here when he's talking about treasures on earth. Verse 19, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Verse 19, he's, he's opened up this whole subject of treasure. Treasure, as we said, is something you set yourself on, something that you're willing to give yourself to obtain. So let's think, let's think about this a little bit. So who in the Bible is an example of someone who set himself to get treasure, someone who gave himself to obtain treasures? Who do you think that might be? It's Solomon. There's no other person in the Bible who set himself more to get pleasure and to get enjoyment, and he gave himself like no one else else. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible that's written about this. What is it? It's Ecclesiastes. It's Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is the book, and look in this verse here in Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 3. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 3 is kind of like a summary of what life was all about. Solomon. Ecclesiastes 2, 3. Kind of surprising he was the king of Israel, but okay, what can you do? So Ecclesiastes 2, 3. I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly, folly parties, till I might see what was the good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in, in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water with the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and peculiar treasure of kings. I got me men singers, women singers, the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments that all of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. So this is Solomon's treasure. This is what he's got on earth there. He's got wine, he's got parties, he's got vineyards, he's got orchards. Everything self-centered, everything self-gratification, every pleasure that he sought. And of course, the least of which was, of course, he didn't leave out women out of the whole thing. Of course not. So he had pleasure from them too. A thousand of them in his life. Wives in the form of wives and concubines. So basically, Solomon epitomizes this phrase, wine, women, and song. That's Solomon. And isn't it interesting that he talks about, Solomon talks about in verse 10 of Ecclesiastes 2.10, Ecclesiastes 2.10, he says, whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. Eyes desired, just like it says in 1 John 2.16. 1 John 2.16, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. The pride of life, it's not of the Father, it's of the world. So Solomon's eyes were desiring, just like the first sin that happened on earth and to Eve in Genesis 3.6. Genesis 3.6, it says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, tree to be desired, 
And this is what the Lord is talking about when he's referring in verse 23, Matthew 6, 23, 6, 23, if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If the light that's in there be darkness, how great is that darkness? And that puts Solomon dead in sight there of the man who's desiring these eyes. He's right down the state. He's right down the middle of the road in the state of darkness. Solomon, he made his eyes to see physical pleasure as a treasure to be grasped after. This is what he's talking about in Ecclesiastes 2.11. Ecclesiastes 2.11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and my labor had wrought, and it was, and he says, behold, all was vexation and vanity, vexation of spirit, no profit. He looks on all this, and he says, when he talks about vanity, it's an emptiness. He says, what I saw, what I did, was just brought me emptiness and trouble in my soul. No peace, no happiness, no contentment, just kind of a restless anxiety of emptiness. And this is what happened to Solomon when he made pleasure his treasure. And he set his eyes on this to achieve, and he's flying high. He's flying high for a period of time. But like all who fly high, like all who choose to live in the fast lane of life, it's a bad landing. It's a bad landing. And this is exactly what the Lord wants to spare us from. Wasting our lives in verse 19 of chapter 6, 19, uh, Matthew. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. You know, it's very important in these two verses in verse 19 and 20 when he talks about lay not up for yourselves, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That word yourselves is very important. In that where he says lay, he didn't just say lay not up treasures on earth. He said lay up for yourselves. You know what he's really saying there? He's saying Think about yourself. Think about what you were created for. Think about what your destiny should be. Think about when you lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, when you think about yourself, that's chump change for you. You've sold out short. You sold out cheap because you were created for God. You were created for heaven. You were created for much more than these things that Solomon went after. And so if you said, well, what do you mean by treasures on earth? What do you mean by treasures on earth? Well, the answer is Solomon is the great example. The person who laid up treasures on earth and it brought him a broken heart and the Lord Jesus wants to save, save us from a broken heart. So he says, let me just give you some advice in verse 19. Don't do it. Don't, don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth. And to his followers, it's like verse 19, he, he's like saying to his followers, look, remember me? I'm your savior. Let me save you from wasting your life by going after what is going to destroy you. But I'm telling you, as your savior speaking, lay not out for yourselves treasures upon earth. And, 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 he, and in verse 19, he could almost add the words like Solomon did. Lay not up for yourselves, lay not up for yourselves wine upon earth, like Solomon did. Lay not up for yourselves parties upon earth, like Solomon did. Lay not up for yourselves treasures of vineyards, or orchards, uh, possessions, lots of women, like Solomon did. Don't lay up for yourself gold and self-gratification, self-greatness, like Solomon did. This is all the treasures on earth. These are the treasures upon earth that the world sets its heart on, that the world calls treasures, that the world craves for, that the world can taste. And those are very real to the world, obviously, right? But he's saying, look, just as there are the, 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 just as real as the treasures on earth are, there is just as real the treasures on heaven. Just as real. 
And I want you to taste those, and I want you to crave those. And so, ask the question now, okay, we see what the treasures on earth are. What are the treasures in heaven that he's talking about here? Okay, well, it's kind of interesting that um, there's so much in the world today that makes us sad. We have to talk about it, but, you know, just this last 24 hours, the murders in Dallas, not Dallas, the murders in Houston, where was it? El Paso. I don't even like to remember it. The murders now in Dayton, you know, that so much makes us sad. Now, that's just kind of in the news and then in our personal life. So much makes us sad. And so what we really long for, what we really long for is a consolation, a consolation from the sadness. Isn't that an interesting word? Consolation. Consolation means like a relief, a relief from it all already. And this is a word that is used in the Bible, consolation, when in regard to treasures on earth, in regard to riches on earth, when it's talking about the rich, when the Lord is talking about the rich, in Luke 6.24, Luke 6.24, he says, woe unto the rich, woe unto you that are rich, Luke 6.24, for you have received your consolation. You got it. And it's interesting that when you look at the names of the Lord that is given in lists, you know, there's lists of the names of the Lord, you know, it's the Savior and the King and the Lamb and God. But there's one name that the Lord Jesus, you don't find on those lists. And it's a name that appears in Luke 2.25. In Luke 2.25, there was a man named Simeon, and he gave a name to the Lord, which is very unusual. And you find that in Luke 2.25, where he says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. The Lord Jesus, when he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and he finally sees the consolation of Israel, it's a person. And the person is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called the consolation of Israel because for all of Israel's trouble, Israel has so much trouble that they're going to have a period in their life which is called Jacob's trouble. It's Jacob's trouble. It's pretty bleak. And so their one relief, their one joy is the consolation of Israel. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we see here when we compare the consolation, the woe to the rich, because they received it, and the consolation of Israel, we can understand there are two consolations. There's a consolation of earth, like riches, and there's a consolation of heaven, like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Solomon has showed us the consolations on earth. What are the consolations of heaven? Okay, there was a day when the disciples were all excited and they were all happy because they saw evil spirits that were subject to them, that obeyed them. And the Lord Jesus, when they came, and said, do you know what happened? Those evil spirits would listen to what we had to say. And the Lord Jesus said, don't be happy over that. I'll give you something to be happy about. And he said in Luke 10, 20, Luke 10, 20, Luke 10, 20, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So what the Lord is saying to them, he's saying to them, look, there's a special book. There's a book in heaven. And your names are written in that. That book is actually called, we know it's called the Lamb's Book of Life from Revelation 21-27. Revelation 21-27, where it talks about, there shall in no wise enter into heaven, into it, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever make it work of abomination, or makes a lie. They are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's amazing. There's a book in heaven with the title on it says Lamb's Book of Life. And everyone who appears in that book has life because heaven is a place of life. And also, 
that book is referred to in Revelation 20, verse 15, Revelation 20, 15, where it says, whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's awful. And you can imagine with that book there, people coming. Let me check. No, your name's not written here. Oh, uh, please check again. Maybe you overlooked it. There must be a mistake. My name must be there. This arguing is what we see in Matthew 7.21, Matthew 7.21, where the Lord said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, this is an arguing, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works? Then I'll profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. All that arguing, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So this is a consolation of heaven. He said that you to rejoice over, that your names are written down there. Your names are written down there. That's a great consolation, consolation of heaven. And then also he said another consolation of heaven. He says is when men actually hate you, when men reject you, just because of my name, because you adhere to my name, he says in Luke 6.22, Luke 6.22, he says, Blessed are you when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company. I don't want to be with you. And shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. So these are consolations, a counterbalancing consolation. He says, jump for joy when that happens. This whole concept of the counterbalancing consolation, hurt, evil, trouble, and then good and everything. Counterbalancing, it's all referred to in Romans 8.18. Romans 8.18, where Paul says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, that's on one side, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. That's on the other side. It's the sufferings today are not worthy to be compared with the glory tomorrow. The sufferings today, as he said, are not worthy to be compared with the glory tomorrow. The glory tomorrow is referred to in 1 Corinthians 2.9, 1 Corinthians 2.9, where it says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Just think of everything you've seen, everything you've seen directly, everything you've seen on, by video or television or whatever, everything you've heard, something has told you, everything that maybe you've imagined in your mind. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, way over that, way over that. Eye hasn't seen it, ear hasn't heard it, it has never entered into the heart of man, the wonderful things that God has done. That's a consolation from heaven. Another consolation to heaven is, you know, whenever you go on a trip, whenever you go on a vacation, one of the first questions you have is, where will I stay? Where will I stay? First questions. Well, I'm going to heaven. Where will I stay in heaven? And the Lord says in John 14, 2, John 14, 2, to answer this question, in my Father's house are many mansions, for we're not so... I would have told you. It's kind of funny. It's almost a Jewish phrase there. In my father's house are many mansions. So you think I'd tell you if it wasn't true? <laughs> I go to prepare a place for you. In verse 3, he says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where will I stay? The Lord says, You're going to live in your own mansion that I have custom prepared just for you. And the best part of that mansion is going to be with me. That's a consolation. Consolation. He calls his followers little flock. Little flock in, in Luke 12, 32. Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know that scene there in, in 
Luke 12, 32, paints a picture for us. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus. He's leading his flock, and it's hard, the flock, and the, it's scary for the sheep. And he's saying, come on, come on, he's in front. And then he turns around to his sheep and says, don't worry, you're coming to a good place. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 